The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Tim Seymour, Steve Grosso, and Guy Dami. Tonight on Fast, it has been a wild year for Bitcoin. It started 2017 at about 1000 bucks, end of the year close to 15000 And you won't believe how high one crypto expert thinks it's heading in 2018. Spencer Bogart of Blockchain Capital will be here to explain. Plus, the bomb cyclone is whoa, coming. Whoa. Sounds pretty scary, right? It the is. The East Coast bracing for a monster storm this week, but it's got some stocks catching on fire. We'll tell you the names. But first, we start off with stocks at record highs and tech dominating 2018 so far. The Nasdaq closing at another record, having its best two-day start to a year since 2006. And it's really the tech underdogs taking over. A number of stocks down double digits from their 52-week highs are surging today. Check out AMD, IBM, Oracle, Micron, all leading the charge. So do these beaten-down names have more room to run? Which tech stocks will be next to break out, Guy? I think it's Micron, Mel. And, you know, kudos to BK last night who flagged IBM. Mm. Tim gave him a – Tim said – mentioned it last night. That's a really aggressive pick. He liked it. But Micron sticks out like a sore thumb to me. Just look at valuation. Micron's trading around six and a half, seven times forward earnings. They had a great quarter, but the stock sold off. I think people are now coming to the realization that NAND pricing is still in there. The valuation makes sense. And Micron's in all the right spaces. So Micron, which went from 36 to 50 and seemingly overnight, retraced back to 39. I think if you look at one of those names on that list, Micron sticks out to me. But IBM no takers here? I actually own IBM, but I don't actually believe the story of what I was hearing today because, of the, I mean, when you look at 160 <laughs> Wait, to 180, well, I, I do own it, but I don't see that the upside of that right. kind of trajectory for IBM. I still think sure. they got to work through a lot of different things. I mean, they were talking about everything from valuation, but you could have said valuation at any point in time for IBM. Cheap. It's always been yeah, cheap. True. They've always been a serial buyback in terms of the stock. But I think what is interesting is they talk about the hybrid cloud. They talk about all kinds of different things. This that is the they RBC are. upgrade today to yes, an outperform in terms rating. of yes. IBM. And, but to Guy's point, I mean, at least in Micron's case, valuation, you can absolutely say very, very cheap. They actually have growth. And that's the difference between the two. So if you say, would you rather, I'd definitely say Micron. I own both, but I think Micron's the better name. Well, yeah, and good for Guy who's been talking about Micron for a long time. And I, and I think if you, if you look at the numbers they just gave us, they had a chance to actually give people fresh data points. So they talked about the pricing Guy referred to. Their business looks absolutely fine. So calling these guys uh, the underdogs? I mean, I know we're playing some rope-a-dope here. Nice. Cut me, Mick. I can't see out of my eye. I don't even know what that uh, is. Well, we're, we're it's down rocky, 10% right? from a 52 week high. Oh, sure. oh, 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 I see what you're My point is that I, I think if you look at how the market has responded out of the year, yes, we had seen some rotation into some, some value in some industrials, but really what's gotten out of the gates has been high cyclicality, high momentum stocks are back in play when you see a move like NVIDIA back in play. So these names do look like this is where there's a lot of capital being allocated. Um, you know, to me, I, I don't think that you believe that two or three days of allocations, because I do believe there's new money that came in. There are people that are uh, well, actually having to put money to work. How to, to do work. with I think Intel? You know. How to do with Intel as well? So it was a combination yeah. story. That's why you saw AMD run. In, uh, Intel's loss was AMD's gain. I do think that has a lot more legs to it. Micron could be a double from here. Hmm. Tepperman, 
It said it, not me. I said it in Ava's budget. But David Tepperman said at $42. David that just Tepper. Tepper. That one. Yeah. All right. Who's not Tepperman? Tepperman? I'm not I sure. Don't know, but no guy. one just knows I about him. I don't care what he's he says better about than Tepper. <laughs> he's better than Tepper. <laughs> Actually, Tepperman said it was a double, so disregard it. <laughs> but at 42, it's DRAM, it's NAND. You can double from here in Micron. AMD, right. huge beta. I think implicit in this question as to whether or not you go for the underdogs at this point in time is within technology, should you have a rotation within this sector to things that may not have performed as well, to things that may be relatively cheaper to say the FANG names, which are all up more than 50 percent Facebook or so. scares me a little bit here. Uh -huh. It shouldn't because Facebook's trade has been trading extraordinarily well. I still think there might be some political headwinds for Facebook, which has nothing to do with the fundamentals and, and the story they've been telling for the last, you know, seemingly three or four years. But Stocks that have worked, I think, will continue to work. We've talked about Salesforce, I think, for the last five or six years. Oracle, you throw that as well. So I think the winners remain winners, and some of these catch-up names, like a Micron, should do well in the first half of this year. I, I tell you, I, I think the catch-up names are, are things like a Cisco, um, where you have a mega-cap tech name that people are looking for that pays a nice div that often offers, I, I think, a valuation argument. Again, they've been starting to see gross margins improve. They started to see their software business, their security businesses are really starting to grow. Um, and, and back to what's also been working over the last couple of days, also the China tech names have worked. I bring it up only because, to me, it's the same trade. Um, so Alibaba went from 170 to 187 in two days. I mean, this is a very big move. Tencent, JD.com, all all these big names, big growth, big multiples. But again, I think people believe in the in the full story. Give me a value play in, in technology. Uh, Microsoft. Okay. Microsoft Satya Nadella, despite the fact that stocks at 52-week highs, literally like a dollar away right now, that name I think continues to work because of the fact that they've got such growth. And I think they're taking enough away from AWS and others that I think that growth in the cloud is something they focused on it. They've been doing it. They've been executing. Valuation-wise, I think Microsoft's actually cheap. I think it's a $100 stock not long from now. And your top momentum play in tech. Ooh, momentum plays. Well, the NVIDIAs are always difficult not to be a part of something like that. But I'll tell you a, a name. You, you just talked about some of the Chinese names. I think Bob is a $200 stock not long from now. I mean, very, very rapidly. Well, consolidated, it needed to. It right, it consolidated run. after the big run. You've and had great numbers. Yep. I agree with but that. But they've questioned, they've questioned those accounting stocks and, accounting forever. Yes. It hasn't hurt them. And then off of PMI numbers recently, you saw the whole space rally back again. And it is the beta play. So we have Fang here. We have Stab there. Yep. It is the beta play. I'm still on Alibaba. But, but again, with Alibaba... It, these Chinese tech names have so many different levers to pull. So the news on Alibaba the last couple of days is they're actually going to be able to monetize uh, Ant Financial, which is something they own 38% of, is actually now making acquisitions and being accretive. They own data centers. They own infrastructure on the Internet. So you get a lot of play by owning Tencent, which is now the largest stock in the MSCI EM. So take a look at that one. What do you think about the momentum so far in technology this year? Overall? Overall. It's hard to argue. I mean, there have been some pullbacks. You've gotten some pullbacks. A name like Red Hat, for example. And we've talked right. about that stock. I think we pitched it. A few people pitched it had a nice move of the upside, started taking a, you know, taking a little bit of a pass here, moving sideways, but I think it's building a base. So the momentum for the space, I don't think you can argue with. It hasn't been too ridiculous to the upside, and you haven't really had that many opportunities to buy the dip. So I think it's the, the move is intact. You know, right. the particular sideways, oh. I'm just Yeah, go ahead. Nice haircut. Side, you got them in tight. Brought them in tight. I was just going to bring up participation. You guys are talking about the, the, the rotation that we're seeing. How about participation? The options market today was 28% above normal activity. Above. So we, we were at 21 million plus today. 17 million was the average last year. It was 17 million yesterday, 17 and a half million. 21 plus million today. So the activity levels have been going up, 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 which tells piece, me a lot about people's belief and, in what's going and on. And piece that right. together with the VIX it. being so low. Right. I mean, yes. it was below 10 for what the sixth yeah. time 
ever. So premiums really cheap. Premiums are cheap. Yep. Really and it's giving people great opportunities, including those that want to take some stock positions off, right. roll them into options and be able to ride that way. I think it really sets up for protection and those rolls. All right. Well, since the Nasdaq hit 6K back in April, here's how the biggest index's biggest names have done. Amazon seeing the biggest rally up 33%, followed by Microsoft, Facebook, Alphabet, Apple, all up 20% or more. Our next guest says two of these Nasdaq heavyweights plus one other tech name could get us to Nasdaq 8,000. Let's go off the charts with the one and only Rich Ross. Hey, Rich. Hey, Melissa. Look, the calendar's changed, but the game remains the same, and the name of the game is to buy big cap technology. I've got three great plays for you. It starts right here with NVIDIA. We set it up last week. Today, we knock it out of the park, okay? We get the 15% pullback. But importantly, we test and hold the moving average that has remained intact throughout the entirety of 2017. We build this textbook base of support here. And once again, we talk about reimposing your will with the breakout above the 50-day moving average. That sets you up to reclaim the old highs. We're talking about 250 potential upside up to 300 over time. So clearly you're buying NVIDIA. The next name, you know it. Look, in December, Macy's, it had its miracle on 34th Street. But let's get real. Let's get back to the big boy here, Amazon. You saw this big trading range breakout, and we settle into this textbook continuation pattern. Today, we break out from that ascending triangle, and that's going to take you higher with Amazon. I've got 1250 with upside to 1400 So you're buying Amazon. And finally, no list of tech buys would be complete without the big boy, Apple. We've drawn it up many times here. Textbook, multi-year base of support. See the big breakout into our favorite continuation pattern, that bull flag. That's going to take you higher. Earnings out the first week of February. Buy the stock in anticipation of that. We're talking about a $1 trillion market cap that gets you to 195 200 We love technology here. This is the second best month for the Nasdaq since inception. Average return, 1.8%. You're buying technology. Come on over, Rich Ross. No, you didn't even ask the rest I don't have to. Doesn't have to. Doesn't I can do that. Good, it doesn't matter. You got sat on the desk last week. Right. Right. I know, really. Yeah, yeah Rich Ross. Only Rich Rapper. Um, does this imply that the NASDAQ chart itself is just as good as Apple's? Oh, the, the NASDAQ itself is impeccable. Let, let's be impeccable. perfectly. You have the Spotless. perfect setup here. We had this rotation that we've talked about in December where tech was sort of pushed aside in favor of some of the short covering and retail, some energy. But now it's reasserting itself. This is the second best month. It's the best month for the stocks. Average gain of 4%. So what do you do when semis have a pullback entering their best month? You buy semis, and that's what we saw today. But the genius of the whole thing, Melissa, today, energy, it's surging, okay? But tech doesn't get sold. It's surging along with energy. So what happens when you have guns and butter? Not guns or butter. You get the Super Bowl. It's the perfect storm, and it's all good right Hold now. Hold on, which is guns and which are butter? I, I you know. <laughs> Does it matter? I don't know. I, I feel like that metaphor went right over my head. Oh, I'm, I'm, well. I'm not a bright guy. Like, oh, it's uh, Macro 101. Come right. on. Brings me back to Emory. You know, Magna Cum Laude. You know what it Lawyers, guns, and money. I know that one. But, uh, okay, so you had mentioned Macy's Miracle on 34th Street, but let's get real. Does it, so that implies that this, I'm asking for Tim. Oh, I know. Hi. Um, does that imply this run that we saw in Macy's in the past month or so, it's over? I think at a minimum, when you look at the longer-term weekly charts, these stocks still have a lot of wood to chop. When you're talking about these beaten-up retailers, we have to consider that these moves, fantastic as they were, 50% in Macy's, 50% in Kohl's, what have you, that you're talking about seasonality, short covering. That was kind of a sentiment-driven shift. And these are stocks I think you want to sell, and you want to get back to the big boys with the strong long-term charts and the strong fundamentals. That's your Amazons. That's your NVIDIAs. That's your Tiffany's on the retail What's side. What's the biggest risk? Would you say 
you like large cap tech. When you look at that space, is there one that sticks out to you that you say, hey, if you have the stomach for it, take a roll on this one? Are there any charts that you can't really make out yet but have tremendous upside or that would be the beta in the space? Well, I think you've, you've hit on some of them. We talked about Western Digital last yeah. week holding that key support at 80, AMD, Micron. Some of these chip names, we're getting a little wobble in them today. They got a little resurgence here with the Intel woes. The Intel pain kind of becomes gain for the rest of that semi-sector. So you want to watch. You want to make sure that the Corvos of the world, the Apple-centric chip names, hold those key areas of support because they were leaning a little bit. You don't want to see that lean. But the backdrop is strong. Microsoft, the big boys, they're in a strong position. See, I look at Google and say, and I'm not bringing Ooh, the guests. There's your value call. Still, there's your no, value call. Still, still, no, still here. You look at Google, you, you see it 26 times forward earnings, but it's growing at 30% EPS growth. So it's, I think it's actually cheap at these levels. So hmm. the one that stands out to me from Rich's group is, is Google. Yeah, I mean, Google, you see that breakout to a 52-week higher. Keep in mind, one thing we haven't even talked about, the weaker dollar. Everybody wanted to kind of hammer on technology in December, but keep in mind, who's the biggest beneficiary? One of the biggest beneficiaries. Big multinational presence, big global presence, right. a lot of overseas revenues. That weak dollar is going to filter right back in. Everyone talked about tax reform. Tech, maybe not the biggest beneficiary. No one wanted to talk about repatriation in December. Let me tell you, they're going to talk about the weak dollar. They're going to talk about repatriation. They're going to talk about these beautiful charts that I just pulled up here in the month of January. Second best month for technology, as we discussed. Just quick buy seller hold IBM Ooh. IBM I put that on the butter side but I'm still buying it it's a little squishy <laughs> yeah, a little, a little <laughs> squishy. Right. A little squish. okay Rich thank you Rich Ross ever for awesome. ISI Pete what'd you do today um, you know what I added to a couple of things in tech but overall I've been going more and more energy just because we keep on seeing it so I added XLE today because there was massive call buying in there today all right still ahead Chaos erupting in D.C. as a war of words between President Trump and Steve Bannon has got investors on edge, but one top strategist says, just keep buying. He'll be here to explain why. And Tesla reporting deliveries for the fourth quarter. The stock is taking a hit in the after-hour session, bringing you all the latest details next and later. One of the hottest IPOs of 2017, winter clothing maker Canada Goose is heating up in the cold weather, but what with all the hype? Guy Dami takes to the street later this hour to find out. Much more fast money right after this. <laughs> Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert on Tesla reporting Q4 deliveries. Phil LeBeau's got the details from Chicago. Phil. It's a disappointment in terms of deliveries for the Model 3 in the uh, fourth quarter, Melissa, as well as its production guidance. Let's go over the numbers in terms of deliveries for the fourth quarter. Model S and Model X aren't going to get a whole lot of attention. They are slightly higher than what was expected, but not a huge increase. But it's that number at the bottom there. Model 3 production of 1,000, or I should say deliveries of 1,000, 550. They are continuing to struggle with production bottlenecks. They don't go into any details while announcing that they are going to be extending or stretching out the guidance for ramping up Model 3 production. Let's take you back to explain what the previous guidance was and what the company is now forecasting. Previously, the guidance was to build 5,000 Model 3s per week by the end of the first quarter. Now Tesla is saying it will only build 2,500 per week by the end of the first quarter and 5,000 per week by the end of the second quarter. So they're essentially stretching out their guidance of what they were going to achieve by the end of the first quarter, now saying that will not happen until the end of the second quarter. In terms of overall deliveries for 2017, we knew it would be around 100,000 vehicles. Officially, the company delivered 101,000 312 vehicles. But again, that's not getting the attention right now, Melissa. After our shares of Tesla are under pressure because of the Model 3, because fourth quarter deliveries were lower than many people expected. Most were thinking, okay, 2,500, 
to 5,000 Model 3s would be delivered. 1550 is well below that. In addition, stretching out the production schedule into the second quarter, that may have some analysts over the next day or two saying, let's take a look at what we're expecting. Do we need to cut our estimates for Tesla, at least for the first half of the year? Right. I mean, we were just talking on Power Lunch to Jeff Osborne over at Cowan, who slashed his Q4 delivery number to 2100. So even that bear on the street right. was above what Tesla actually reported. But, Phil, you know, it seems like they still have a lot of ramp to go because they're saying in the statement that in the last seven working days of the quarter, they hit a production rate which would extrapolate to a little bit more than 1,000 units per week. I mean, going Correct. to 2,500 in the first quarter, that's more than double here. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And the wording there is very careful. Yeah. Extrapolates into 1,000 per week. They didn't say that they hit 1,000 per week. Right. It just said that the, the, the schedule and the production extrapolates into that. Right. Okay, Phil, thank you. Phil you LeBeau bet. in Chicago. Um, this is a stock that has not done too much in the past, what, six, seven months or so? What do we do with it here? Well, I, I would push back and say it's actually done a lot. Oh, wow. you, had, you had a huge Isn't move. Basic, well, I mean, if you look at it, it had a move from 385 down okay. to 292, bounced almost to 350 a week and a half, two weeks ago. And now here we are. These numbers will give everybody that thinks, and look, I understand both sides of this equation. People that think it's just a car company, this gives them every opportunity to lean into this and short the stock. If they can't sell the stock off on this, for example, if it holds this level and starts to bounce back to unchanged, I think we retest that 350 level. But why once would you again. be selling this? Sorry to cut you off, but if you think this is just a car company, you're not in this trade. I don't. Okay, so the, on the, to me, these do. delivery numbers, I have to kind of smirk at and say, yeah, I, am I really surprised that we're now moving, you know, the, the 5,000 a week till the second quarter of the end rather than the first quarter and we're extrapolating 1,000 in the last few days? I mean, why even come out with these statements? But. You know, people want to believe in deliveries. And, and ultimately, um, you should not be valuing this as an auto company because that's clearly not if what you've the, ever the shorted it, to your point. Is. If you've ever shorted on, on, on production numbers, you've actually gotten slaughtered. I would say that this stock has a good chance of being positive tomorrow because if they can't push it below 300, this stock rips right back in your face with an over 20% short interest still. Yeah, the fact with these numbers, and it, if it's a car company down 2%, that's ridiculous. So it is a software company, and more and more it's proving that out. So ahead, drama erupting in D.C. as President Trump goes on the attack against once close ally Steve Bannon. Will the chaos seep into the markets? The top strategist tells us why he says to close your eyes and just keep buying. That's next. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money and CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Bitcoin. 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 That's right. More Bitcoin. And one top crypto watcher says the run isn't over yet. He'll tell us why he thinks the cryptocurrency could double in 2018. Plus, baby, it's cold outside. The winter freeze is here, but a number of stocks are on fire. We'll tell you the names to help heat up your portfolio. Much more fast money right after the break. Welcome back to Fast Money. A wild start to 2018 for President Trump with chaos erupting in Washington today. Trump attacking his former chief strategist, Steve Bannon, saying he's lost his mind. Let's bring in Eamon Javers in D.C. for the latest details. Eamon. 
Melissa, I think you have to call this a Trump camp civil war that exploded today here in Washington, D.C. with the release of excerpts from Michael Wolff's new book on the first days of the Trump White House here in Washington, D.C. Some dramatic scenes as recounted by Wolff, denied by some, but nonetheless causing a political firestorm here in Washington, D.C. We saw the president issue a statement the likes of which few have ever seen. Here's an excerpt from what the president had to say about Steve Bannon, who was quoted extensively in the book. The president said he spent his time at the White House leaking false information to the media to make himself seem far more important than he was. It is the only thing he does well. Steve was rarely in a one-on-one -on -one meeting with me and only pretends to have had influence to fool a few people with no access and no clue whom he helped write phony books. We also saw the press briefing with Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the press secretary here. Uh, she was asked whether or not the American people should be concerned about the mental fitness of the president of the United States. And here's how she responded. I think the president uh, and the people of this country should be concerned about the mental fitness of the leader of North Korea. He's made repeated threats. Uh, he's tested missiles uh, time and time again for years. And this is a president who's not going to cower down and is not going to be weak and is going to make sure that he does what he's promised to do, and that's stand up and protect the American people. And all of this coming on a day after the president gathered the world's attention with a tweet about North Korea itself saying this in a missive last night. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un just stated that the nuclear button on his desk is, at, is on his desk at all times. Will someone from his depleted and food-starved regime please inform him that I too have a nuclear button, but it is much bigger and more powerful one than his, and my button works. A lot of critics on that tweet saying that the president is engaging in unnecessary and childish nuclear brinksmanship with the leader of North Korea. The president's defenders in the wake of that, Melissa, said no, he's simply standing up to the leader of North Korea. And the, the previous approach uh, of more uh, docile statements by presidents, put, to put it that way, uh, hasn't worked. That's what Sarah Huckabee Sanders said here at the White House today. The president's simply standing up for America with a tweet like that. Back over to you. All right, Eamon, thank you. Eamon Jabbers yeah. with the scene in D.C. So will the D.C. drama derail this rally? Our next guest doesn't think so, says just keep buying. Tony Dwyer is the chief market strategist at Canaccord Genuity. He joins us now. Happy New Year, Tony. Good to see you Happy again. Happy New Year, Melissa. I'm just glad that I'm a chief market strategist and not a chief political strategist. <laughs> It'd be a crazy time. <laughs> Maybe it's, the only thing worse colorful. than a chief market strategist. <laughs> but it's a crazy time to be a chief market strategist as well because you are forced you are right now basically yeah. to discount what would have been crazy things happening in D.C. just two years ago. Well, ultimately, and I think that's the most important part of investing, is understanding what the ultimate driver of the stock market is. And it is clear over time that it is not political maneuverings, it's credit. And you need a good credit backdrop to fund corporate America, to fund households, and you need a good economy. We have all of those things, even globally. This is something we haven't had for the prior seven years. 2017 was unique that way. So many people ask me why the Fed dot plot suggests that they're going to raise three times next year. The Fed dot plot's been wrong this entire cycle. The market's been right, thinking the Fed wouldn't raise. What's different now? I hate the term now that everybody uses it. Synchronized global recovery. You have a reacceleration in the U.S., capital spending move, and a strong U.S. economy. It's a very hard case to make against the market right now. So just give me some context here. Entering 2017, mm -hmm. when the presidency, he wasn't even yet sworn into office at this time a year ago, a lot of things were unknown, and people were very sort of, they wanted to wait and see, see what he would right. do or not do. Fast forward to today, are you just more comfortable now with 
I was high on the street last year in March, and if you remember in March, the market was kind of getting blasted, especially yeah. internally, because the Trump trade was the Trump fade, was the term I think we used on, on, it, on set here. And, and ultimately, it wasn't about, the 20% tax cut is good. There's no question that's added to the, the earnings picture and the, and the positive story. It was a positive story before then, because again, the credit backdrop is so strong. And as the yield curve flattens, credit accelerates. It doesn't get worse. People trade that wrong. It accelerates. Because if I told you that you're going to make a dollar at something, and I told you you're going to make 50 cents at something, well, you would produce more of it. So when the yield curve flattens, banks produce more credit, investors use more credit to make the better returns. This whole thing is, to, to use Pete's term, is hashtag giddy up, which <laughs> is what happens, especially after a low-value year like it. But, Tony, like at, at the risk of getting too deep in the weeds on credit, we all know that credit leads equities and that the debt guys are usually smarter. And, and we got some inventory. We got some, some loan data this morning that said commercial loans were at the lowest in December than yep. they'd been all year. Um, you've got high yield that's been struggling for three or four months now and is... is Two or three percent off the highs, and really only in the last couple of days came out of that shell. Why is that if this environment's so robust? You, you have so many other lending facilities. You have, a, you have great cash flow. B, you have a corporate credit market that is on fire. Absolute record corporate credit new issuance. So why are you going to draw down more expensive paper if you can go to the credit markets and get the cheaper paper? Um, there's that. And, and historically, I, I agree with the, the premise, Tim. This is not going to be as low vol a year. There's a chart up that um, showed that when you have such a, a low maximum drawdown, the next year sees more volatility, but more upside. In the last two occurrences, 1995, you only had a 2.5% maximum drawdown. That was the beginning of the second half of the 90s run. That wasn't a sign that it was over. Then let's go to 2013, same kind of thing. You had a, just over a 5% maximum drawdown. The next year you saw increased volatility, but a double-digit return. So I'm at 3,100 for next year. And as you guys know, I've not been trying to be the biggest bull. I think that's a marketing kind of BS move. But when I look at the reasoning behind it, I'm having a hard time saying you want to fade the market for anything other than a temporary trade. You just can't. There's no delinquencies picking up. Right. The default rate assumptions aren't picking up. You still have a positively sloped curve. And now you have a real ramp in earnings that are going to help M&A, cap spending, household net worth. Is, you know, I don't want to get too giddy here because that's typically when the market But you are, goes. and you are the biggest well, bull on Wall Street. You know what's <laughs> really interesting is and if you follow 1995, we're replicating 1996. You had a 1.5% percent move in the first three days, then a 4% drop, followed by a real ramp. I could easily see something like that happen. Right. Tony, good to see you. Thank yeah. you. Tony Thank you Dwyer, so much. Thanks, What did you do today? So for me, when you look at everything performing, whether it was the leaders or the laggards performing, there's a lot of this to the, to the angle that, that Tony was just talking about, but I think it's passive investing too. You have massive amounts of money being put into ETFs. I would stay long your mega cap tech, as we talked about at the beginning of the show. Mm -hmm but get into the other sectors, industrials. Not so convinced on energy just yet. Is political completely out the window for you in terms of a risk factor? No, but the Fed is much more important, and, and I think the inflation numbers we got out of Europe on Friday are a little concerning. I think the, the industrial numbers are just staggering. Um, I, and I would go the other way on energy. I think energy is totally working. I, I think the MLPs, I think the oil services, look at the breakout in the OIH. These are valuations, by the way, you don't buy commodities when they're cheap. You buy commodity equities when they're, if anything, the valuations start to look rich, but there's momentum behind them. That's what you have, and I think the energy sector is totally lagged. President says he's got a big button that works and his doesn't. The VIX closes right around nine. nine. That's, all, yeah. that's really all you need to know, I think. Good big point. button.
Big button. It works, too. Huh. Still works. ahead. Bitcoin, huh. apparently. Bitcoin to 50000 <laughs> oh. One top crypto watcher says it could happen sooner than you think. He'll be here to explain. Plus, a massive winter storm about to slam the East Coast, but it's giving a boost to a number of cold weather stocks. We'll tell you if they've got more room to run when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. After Bitcoin's meteoric rise last year, a number of market watchers are trying to predict the next big move in the crypto space. Seema Modi's got more on that. Hey, Seema. Hi, Melissa. While the volatility in Bitcoin is expected to continue, a group of experts say Bitcoin is headed higher in 2018, but those forecasts are contingent on certain things happening. Bespoke Investment sees Bitcoin trading in the $30,000 to $40,000 price range if certain technical upgrades are made, including a lightning network, which they say will improve Bitcoin trade. And if it doesn't, Bitcoin could drop below 10000 Now, Tom Lee at Fundstrat has revised his mid-2018 target to $20,000 to reflect the surge in user activity, which he predicts will continue. You know, aside from the CBOE and the CME futures, the NASDAQ is expected to unveil its Bitcoin contract in the next three months. That could increase the pool of investors. The other forecast is from Blockchain Capital Spencer Borgard sees Bitcoin trading north of $25,000 if more retail investors, specifically millennials, open accounts, though he sees Bitcoin surpassing $50,000 if both retail and institutional investors buy into the cryptocurrency in 2018. We'll all be focused, Melissa, on where Bitcoin goes from here, but don't dismiss the second-tier cryptocurrencies, which are quickly catching up in value. Ripple surpassing Ethereum and is now the second-largest cryptocurrency with a market cap of $114 billion. Back to you. All right. Thank you very much, Seema Modi. One of the Bitcoin bulls that Seema just mentioned joins us now. Spencer Bogart is a partner at Blockchain Capital. He joins us from San Francisco. Spencer, great to have you with us. Welcome to Fast Money. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, when you say 50000 if there's retail participation as well as institutional participation, what are you waiting to see in terms of the floodgates from institutional money? And do you think that we're getting closer to that at this point? Sure. If we focus on the institutional side of the equation here, I mean, look, institutional ownership is still effectively 0%. So there's a lot of room for upward movement here. And the drawbridges for institutional pools of capital have just been lowered. So if we think about the rollout of these derivative products um, from LedgerX, from CME, from CBOE, this is only the very first round of products for a brand new asset class, right? So institutional investors that want to play in this market, even if they do, they're going to wait a little bit and either dip their toes in the water or just wait on the sidelines until they see that the products themselves function, even if they do want to play in the underlying market. So again, this is a first round of product set that's going to evolve and mature and I think eventually become a deep market. Uh, in, in terms of uh, institutional participation, though, we need to see institutions participate in the underlying for, for your forecast of 50K to hit in, in the next year? I don't think so. I think that the, there will be a natural trickle down from the derivatives products into the underlying. So I think that for now, institutional mm -hmm. players are fairly relegated to the derivatives markets, um, just given that underlying spot Bitcoin is a little bit of an exotic product for, for most institutional investors. Uh, what, what are your forecasts for some of the other coins out there? Is Bitcoin the biggest percent gainer, according to your forecast, or are there others that we should be watching? You know, I'd be most focused on Bitcoin in 2018. I mean, listen, I can't tell you exactly what's going to happen with price, and neither can anybody. But when I look out over the next 12 months, what I see is a significant supply-demand imbalance at current price levels that I think will have to force price higher. 
right? So if we think about the supply side of that equation, the majority of Bitcoin, again, is locked down with long-term holders. So there's not a lot of supply available. And meanwhile, we have this new uptick on the retail side. So again, according to a survey conducted at the end of October by Harris Poll, less than 2% of people in the States own any Bitcoin, but 19% of people have said they're likely to buy in the next five years. That would be a, t a 10x increase in adoption just right there. And if we double click and zoom in on that 19% number, again, 32% of millennials indicated they would, are likely to buy Bitcoin in the next five years. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, when I think about what are likely good indicators of future technology trends, I pick younger demographics over older demographics every time. So again, I think there's a strong potential on the retail side as well on the institutional side. Now, that's not to dismiss other coins that are in the market today. Mm -hmm. It's just that at current valuations from where we are, I'd like to see more traction in the actual market um, for any of the other coins before getting really excited about current valuations. A call for Bitcoin 50,000 is, is a tremendous one, Spencer. At, at Blockchain Capital, you guys also invest uh, in companies. You've invested in, what, more than 42 companies, including Coinbase and some of the cold storage companies out there as well. Uh, if you had to put a dollar to work in either a company uh, in, using the blockchain technology or the cryptocurrency itself, what's the better bet in your view? We do both, actually. So, right, again, right. we do we invest in the, in the equity of companies and in the tokens. And so, you know, it really remains to be seen. I mean, there's certainly a fat protocol thesis that suggests that a lot of the value accrues to the underlying protocols like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, et cetera. But I think that there's a strong counter thesis that there's a lot of value accruing to the businesses built on top of these networks. So the Coinbases of the world, the Ripples of the world are actually worth very significant sums of capital right now. Does Coinbase's valuation, in your view, uh, go down the more and more outages it sees or the more allegations of insider trading exist out there? I mean, are you worried that perhaps millennials, which are a distrustful lot, <laughs> as I understand it, um, themselves, you know, they, you get frustrated when you have to wait to transfer money from your bank account into a Coinbase account for it to take days to clear in an environment when it takes minutes to clear any, any transaction out there? Yeah, absolutely. Listen, I mean, outages are obviously not a good thing. It's certainly not what Coinbase is vying for, nor, nor with the experience that they want to create. Now, that said, we should be reminded that these outages are a direct result of very large trading volumes, very large new account openings, and in general, just a lot of interest from new users on the platform. So again, it's an indicator of success, I would say, as opposed to a harbinger of its downfall. All right, Spencer, we're going to leave it there. Thanks a lot for joining us. Appreciate it. Spencer Bogart of Blockchain Capital. Well, look, I mean, uh, as of December 10th, most people thought Ripple was a great song by the Grateful Dead um, at 23 cents, and it's now 317. Guy still thinks so, that. So, oh, well. and, it's, and it's half, you know, <laughs> look, it's half the market cap of Bitcoin. So, I mean, Spencer's thesis is that, first of all, um, larger pools are going to attract larger pools or, or larger players. And so far, um, I, I think that's largely true. I mean, a, a three times Bitcoin gets you to 50, 50 grand, yeah. whereas a lot of these things are doing three times in, in a couple of days. So um, clearly people are rolling down, I think, with a lot of their investments and are putting a portfolio effect. But as he said, those that are building on top of the platform seem to be the ones that actually are more valuable, and I would agree. Did he answer your question whether or not it was the technology or the Bitcoin? They do both. So right, but they've got funds. You almost ought to yeah. put him in the would you rather sort of category because I don't think that he really answered that. He kind of st I mean, stayed ambivalent on that. He right. wants to do both. He doesn't want to but doesn't have a coin. preference. He doesn't want to bet on the coin. wants to bet on the technology. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Overstock is the way I play it. Everyone looks at this as an e-commerce business. Yeah. It was, it's up 12% year to date. It was up 10% just today. I think that people, once they start getting a whiff of Overstock, this is going to be over $100 in the name easily. All right.
Still ahead. A monster storm set to wreak havoc on the East Coast this Bomb. week, sending a chill across the U.S., but it's heating up a number of stocks. We've got the details, plus a war of words brewing between chipmakers Intel and Advanced Micro. Who is right? We've got those details with Fast Money Returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. A war of words brewing between Intel and AMD on the security of their chips today. Josh Lipton has the details on this developing story from San Francisco. Hey, Josh. Melissa, in the after hours here, Intel and AMD are doing just what they did all day long, moving in different directions. Intel moving lower after finishing the day down more than 3%, though well off the lows. Stock was dragged lower by these reports this morning of a big security vulnerability. Intel's Brian Krasanich speaking exclusively on CNBC, making the case, though, that his company isn't alone, that many other companies' processors are also potentially vulnerable. I can't tell you exactly on the other guys, uh, on the other products, exactly which ones are affected, but, but definitely most of the modern high-performance processors that you're seeing in your leading-edge products across that array that you talked about, phones, PCs, everything, uh, are going to have some impact. AMD, though, at with a statement of its own, suggesting that it isn't very vulnerable at all, saying due to differences in AMD's architecture, we believe there is a near zero risk to AMD processors at this time. AMD moving higher after finishing the day up more than 5 percent. Importantly, Kurzanich told CNBC that Intel found no instances of anybody actually taking advantage of this exploit, and he says the company now has the right fixes in place. Melissa, back to you. All right. Thank you very much, Josh Lipton. Uh, Pete Nigerian, what do you make of this? Quite a spat here. Yeah, and it's not a, not totally unusual. I mean, they've had spats in the past as well on all kinds of different issues. I I think anytime Intel has a pullback like this, when I look at valuation, when I look at all the different areas, obviously the acquisitions they made over the last couple of years, but I look at a PE that's trading in the mid-teens. They got a two and a half percent yield. I like this company. I like the direction that they're going in. Security so, issue is not an issue for well, you. Well, it is an issue, and I think it is an issue for a lot of different folks out there. And I think that Brian but it doesn't got mean in front that AMD can't go up along with Correct. Intel bouncing as well, because I yep. think this could be a chance for AMD, a much smaller player, to grab market share, sure. however incremental it is, yep. and change the the status or the or the horizon for them. They were recently a fourteen dollar name. They traded down to under ten. They're trading around twelve bucks right now. Probably still a nice upside for AMD if you want to play beta. Would you rather? It's more positive for AMD than it is negative for Intel. Mm -hmm. So if you're asking me to play the game, yeah, AMD. I am. I just did. And uh, I just did. look, there's no way this can go on for 10 years without this. Just with this just coming out now, I'm not buying it. I'm sorry, I'm buying Intel on weakness. There you All right. go. Giddy up. Giddy up. Giddy up indeed. That's a triple giddy up. <laughs> ching ching. Boom. Bang. Some oh. traders are betting on more pain for Intel. Let's get to Mike out in Tampa, Florida, with the options action. Hi, Mike. Hi, so we saw a great deal of options action in both of these names. Intel traded more than five times its average daily options volume and more than seven times its average daily put volume, more than 250,000 contracts on the put side. The most active of those were the January 43 puts, over 27,000 of them traded for just over a quarter. So buyers of those are making bets that Intel could drop by about 5% in a little over two weeks. AMD, by contrast, seeing a great deal of bullish bets. And implied volatility, that is the price of options on Intel, has more than doubled now since the end of November on this. Pete, you saw this too, I presume. Yeah, I did. And, and I wonder, and I think Mike would agree with me, when you see that kind of put activity, is that a negative or is that somebody buying protection knowing that this in. stock has had this good move to the upside yeah. and I got protection out of the downside, cost me 25 cents. 
I like that. All right. Mike, yeah. thanks. Mike Coe in Tampa. Uh, for more options action, check out the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, the bomb cyclone. Boom. Set to slam the East Coast, sending a chill across the U.S., but it's giving a boost to some cold weather stocks. We'll tell you which names the traders are buying when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The East Coast bracing for a massive winter storm, and it's being called the bomb cyclone. Heavy snowfall expected from Maine all the way down to Florida will likely bring severely frigid temperatures and gale force winds. And as the cold weather rolls in, natural gas has been soaring up about 10 percent in the last week alone as demand is expected to rise. Some stocks actually getting a boost from the cold uh, to start to the season. Over the past month, winter clothing maker Canada Goose up 20 percent. Lowe's and Home Depot higher as people stock up on supplies. Plus names like Netflix, Domino's seeing a bump as more people stay in, order pizza. You know, Netflix and Chill or however that goes. Uh, so will these stocks continue to heat up? Grasso. I, I would think that they do have a lot of runway ahead of them. And Netflix makes total sense. Momentum name. So you think that that's okay. Domino's, you, for obvious reasons, people are going to be sitting home. But Southwestern Energy, an E&P company, NatGas, uh, levered, SWN. I think that's the real play. But you need another blast of cold air before this becomes a sell-on-the-news event. I think it, you need another storm after this one to make it a viable event. I don't get this whole Netflix thing. I mean, I get it. People stay it's in vacation. the stream. Right. But don't they already, aren't they already paying for a subscription? Or is there a thought that the people are actually starting a subscription because it's cold outside? Otherwise, it does, you know, a stock run because of the cold doesn't make any sense. And I don't know uh, whether it's just all weather-related for Netflix. No, Netflix, had, ahead, a big, yeah. well, Netflix right. had a big move a few days ago. Nothing yeah. to do with the cyclone bomb. This is a great exercise. I mean, the Canadian goose thing, I'm going to buy in full, <laughs> full steam, although I wouldn't wear one. It's Canada uh, goose. But, but, but whatever. But, but, <laughs> bottom, bottom line here, bottom line here is I do think Home Depot and Lowe's are buys, not because of this storm. Well, it, cold weather stock, and it's Canada Goose. Sorry. It Canada. happens to be what one of the right? best Canadian. performing IPOs of the last year, <laughs> really? March of 2017. I remember. And I say to myself, who buys these coats? Uh, Anywhere from 900 to a dime. $1,000. That's crazy. A lot. So it's, where, what's out there? Times Square. New York City's Times Square. Yeah. So I went out in Times Square. You know what I did? What did I do, Mel? On the guy little, in the street. Well, I did a little goose hunting is what I did. Check, check this out. You see me right there? I see one over there. Let's find some more. A brown goose. An olive goose. Very rare in these parts. And camouflage to boot. A mother and child goose. See, in yonder. A blue goose. Let's sneak up on it. A blue goose and a black goose. Very rare. <laughs> I like how the kid just shook you off. They didn't know fantastic. what to do with you. Yeah. They were scared they, by you. I scared some people ran away. I'm they, sure. I they would too. They scurried. You Sometimes they run away from you just on a daily basis. <laughs> scurried like mice. Did you get in one of those? No. Did you ask him if you could try his no, on? No, I did not. Because I don't need the Canada goose to be warm. I'm just warm, naturally warm. You know, the in, my insides, <laughs> may, I just go out there. I just, it's a good thing you didn't wear that heat. That quilted jacket of yours out there. <laughs> So the bedspread? Yeah, he wears a bedspread. <laughs> Folks, guy wears a bedspread. It's lovely anyway, and low. It belongs on his bed. This Canada goose. You got, I mean, $800 to $1,000 or maybe even up. For Man, you're talking about the, you are it's talking about the upper end. High end luxury. Yeah. So if we are in that society, which I do think we are, and you talk about the global strength, I think that does play into what you're seeing out there. I, I'm surprised you didn't see more. Yeah.
How about you, Grassley? I mean, I, it's it's aspirational, right, at best. Yeah. Or, or, or I say in a good if, way. If there's like a 10 of them in Times Square out the front door. But it, but, it, but it is crazy, to your point, how expensive these yeah, jackets are. And they're and they're everywhere. everywhere at every age. You said it. It was a mother and daughter. Yeah, sure. Wearing, uh, wearing these Canadian, Canadian or Canada? Canada, 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 Canada. depending on who you are. can get this name right. No, I got it right. <laughs> Tepperman told me. What? what? <laughs> Tepperman. <laughs> ultimately, this comes down to valuation, though. We've seen this yeah. so many times, yeah. these fads, and, and ultimately these companies that have a great, great product. That clearly is, uh, it certainly looks warm. Um, but ultimately, what are you going to pay for it? And you get to a place where these things start to become ubiquitous. If there's a camouflage goose out there, we're starting to get some ubiquity <laughs> out there. Camo, so, and a camo goose. Camo and goose. And you know what I also noticed what out there? What did you well, notice, First of all, our crack staff did a crack job yes. out there. It's cold with the cameraman. Absolutely. Give Heidi some props, hi, hi, Unbelievable. She yeah. wanted me to put on her Canada goose, but it's clearly didn't You had no jacket on your arm. But that was dumb. That was dumb. Why is that dumb? You had no jacket on. We're running out of time. Is there a point here? There are Fugazi Canada goose jackets out there. They're knockoffs already. Yeah, just saying. Up next, Grosso's doubling down on one sock that's up nearly 200% in the next Whoa. year. He'll give us the name, tell us what has him so bullish, and we come right back. Final trade, Pete. Sticking with energy, Halliburton, big buyers again today. It's going higher. Giddy up. Tim? Emerging markets are going higher. Pakistan was a big underperformer last year. ETF, P-A-K. I think it's time. The stock I'm doubling down on is Square. You've heard me mention it before. It ran up when it mentioned Bitcoin, and then Credit Suisse popped that bubble, came back in. Now it's ramping up again. Square, SQ. Nice. Be safe in that storm there, Melms. It bombed Cyclone. Bomb Cyclone, and Micron's a bomb Cyclone. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Hopefully it's a good thing. I'll tell you what happens afterwards. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.